0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 14. Jesus starts telling some stories or some parables, and parables are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Matthew chapter 22, verse 1, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven. And I love this. He wanted us to know what heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And he told stories that if you pay attention, uh, give windows into what it's all about and what it's like. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son, and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. So we're going to stop there for just a moment. And I want you to fill in, you know, we've got a handful of little life lessons. Kind of this is to boil it down into a handful of points. And so in these first three verses, okay, there's, this is what it's like. The king, obviously, it's like my father in heaven, wants to have a wedding for the prince, future king, his son... And he invites everybody to come, and nobody wants to come. So this is, you know, the Lord is trying to bring the disciples into an understanding of not only who he is, but why he's here. He came from heaven. And why he came. And he wants them to know it's really ultimately all about relationship. Let me tell you a story. And he starts telling a story of a, of a king who wants to have a royal wedding for his son. And he wants his hall filled with guests because he loves his son. He's so proud of his son. And he wants uh, the kingly halls filled with people to witness the son's wedding to his, his uh, beautiful bride. So as we look at the you know, beginning, that's the beginning of our journey. It's a personal relationship with God. Um, and here he is using marriage as an analogy. I know that there are many people who begin you know, their Christian journey, often uh, when you are little, Uh, When you were a little boy, a little girl, those who were brought to a church uh, for various reasons or times or a Sunday school or an Awana class or a Bible, you know, camp or uh, catechism, uh, all of those different things. And there are many that began there. and, And one of the easiest things for little boys and little girls to tell them is, hey, yes, there's mom and there's dad and maybe brother and sister. Um, and this beautiful earth, the trees and the animals and the plants and mountains and streams. Uh, and then, you know, you see the sun in the day and there's stars at night and the moon. And then beyond all of that, the universe. And there is a creator. He's called God the Father. It's very easy for little children to hear, and grasp that beautiful and powerful truth and to have it planted in their lives. But then as, you know, life goes on, uh, the reality of a fallen world, broken world, and uh, so they often, there are multitudes who were initialized into church or relationship with God, and then they spin off for a variety of reasons. So this last week I was in Escondido and going to a particular store that I frequent, and I I know the lady uh, that I asked for help, and I don't know, somehow we had talked, and she uh, found out, you know, th- that I was a pastor or whatever, and, and uh, she's a Catholic, and so I was like, oh, great, and, and there's this guy that's talking, you know, and, and then he's going around the corner, and she's finishing that, and he was saying something about God, but I didn't really hear it, and she goes, and she kind of rolled her eyes, she looks at me, and she goes, man, if that guy knew who you were, <laughs> he would be talking maybe a little bit differently, and so I think he heard, so he'd walk back around the corner, and, say, and I'm like, oh, no, you know. <laughs> Wasn't looking for this, you know, and so he's saying, yeah, oh, pastor, oh, yeah, well, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I go, oh, okay, that's good, I don't go anymore, oh, okay, I'm a recovering Catholic, I said, oh, okay, whatever that means, and, you know, um, a lot of guilt and, you know, stuff, but I don't believe in a God that, you know, and then he went off to where, I don't know, God's mean and judgmental and he's this and that or whatever, and I said, well, look, I agree with you. I wouldn't follow that kind of a God either. Fortunately, that's not who God really is. He's loving. He's gracious. He's kind. He's faithful. And he goes, "Yeah, well, I didn't experience that or see that or whatever." And um, so, anyway, I, you know, just talked to him just briefly. Got to plant maybe a little bit of a seed. But I was thinking about how, and I thought not only of him, but there are many people today that they they heard, you know, there's something in them that wants to connect with God. But they haven't found the right way to find something real uh, authentic or something they can find confidence in and I've realized and you know I guess I'll just let you guys know that um, you know recently you know with all the, the things going on in life and in the world and, and people are pretty anxious about a lot of different things so on the one hand uh, there's a lot of criticism about God and church and or various religious things. On the other hand, there's almost like a hurt cry for, so where are you? What are you doing? Don't you care? Can't you see what's going on? So kind of crying out. And it's very interesting to me, different ways that I have found that there are people, some of them, and you might be here this morning, the Lord has shown me and, and I've found out, there's, there are people visiting uh, here on Sunday that are atheists or quasi-atheists, or I doubt it, or maybe I'm an agnostic. Yeah, well, you know, we'll see. Uh, and then there are others that have just been run over and hurt by various experiences or whatever. And, and the weird thing is, so I'm like, okay, I know, and there, there's a lot of them, but recently it has been brought to my attention uh, that they're visiting this church they're listening online, they're making comments about little devotionals and stuff like, they're like being drawn to the very thing that they're supposedly against. Does that make sense? There's a spiritual hunger or whatever. So I was thinking about how how we begin and then sometimes how we end doesn't always end up in the same way. So I wanted to show you guys a little picture because, you know, it's back to school time, right? So a lot of you have... Children, you know, recently, it's, it's back to school. And, you know, I, I think about that one commercial they did that, you know, school starting, and parents, you know, in the shopping carts, and they're, whee, and you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I mean, summer is great, and have fun, and get some vacation, or whatever, and then school starts, and back into a routine, or whatever. So anyway, I saw this online. Some of you probably saw it, but it was kind of like uh, this picture of this little girl and uh, her name, let's see, uh, her mom's name is Jillian. Um, this is her uh, kindergarten picture in the morning of her, she's five years old, her, her name is Lucy. It's her first day of school. She, this actually was from Scotland. And the mom was excited, the dad wanted to hear at the end of the day, how did the first day of school go for Lucy? And the mom goes to pick up little Lucy at the end of the day, and it was... <laughs> It was a little bit different at the end of the day, and the mom, you know, uh, said, honey, she was mortified, and she's looking at her daughter like, what happened to you? And the daughter looks at her like, everything's fine. She goes, what did you do today? And She goes, I just played with my friends. So she was totally unaware that the hair went a little bit this way, the ties kind of loosened up, socks are up and down, she's holding a little bird and the expression on her face. she That's her first day of school. Um, so anyway, the mom, you know, once she found out that she's okay, she survived, and she thought it was funny and put it online, and the next thing you know, 12,000 likes, 6,300 shares, 3,700 comments. Um, and so she posted, here's the before <laughs> picture, the after picture of my daughter. And, you know, one commented, that's what I look like when I get home from school and I'm the teacher. Um, Another suggested they use the pictures for shops advertising back to school clothes and how durable they really are. Um, But anyway, we can, you know, we begin well and then things can uh, change sometimes. I want to read this scripture, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five, Leviticus 19, verse eight. Let's read this out loud. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This is repeated. Now, this is not New Testament stuff. As you obviously can see, this is Deuteronomy from the Old Testament. Book of Leviticus from the Old Testament. Love God. Relationship. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two love your neighbor, your fellow man, your fellow brother or sister, uh, even as you love yourself. Now that is repeated nine different times in the New Testament. It's as if God is making a point, relationship, relationship, relationship. That to God is what counts. Obviously, number one Is it's not about religion. It's not about deeds. It's not about accomplishing great spiritual exploits. It's what it's ultimately about is you having a personal relationship with your creator, with your heavenly father and getting to know him and letting him pour out his blessings upon your life. And then the overflow of that personal relationship with God is to be how you treat uh, every other man and woman. They become now not just neighbors, but now in church, the family, brothers and sisters. That's what counts. So I want to say it as directly and plainly as I possibly can. God created you and me and every one of you listening this morning for number one relationship. In fact, Jesus left heaven to come to the earth for essentially that one goal and purpose is that he wanted to bring mankind who had been made in the image and after the likeness of God back into a divine, eternal relationship with our Father who is in heaven. So uh, that's what it's all about. Through his Holy Spirit, we can be connected to one another within God's family. So again, relationships are more important than fame. Our culture you know, I guess because of the internet and Facebook and whatever else there is, fame or being famous or being seen or whatever. Relationships are more important than fame. They are more important than pleasure. The meaning of life is not just how much pleasure you can get out of it. In fact, if, funnily enough, if, the, the more you make that your goal, the less pleasure you will have as time goes on. Or Prestige whatever your thing is that makes you feel like you're valued or something, or success. Relationships are more important than fame, pleasure, prestige, or success. In fact, the Bible says you can be a success in all of those other areas of life, but if you're successful in all of them, except in relationships, you have missed the meaning of life you have missed really ultimately what it's all about. Galatians chapter five, verse 14. Let's read this out loud. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The big part of of life is not about accomplishments or, oh, finding your gifts and dreams and all of that, but it's really about learning how to love along the way. And all the other stuff kind of will fit into its proper place and order. But ultimately, it's learning to be, our father wants us, we're his sons and daughters. We're born again into his family and he goes, I want you kids to grow up and be like me. And the way you will become like me, you're born of my spirit, is walking with me, learning my ways and walking in relationship with me. And by the way, kids, we're going to have a blast. I'm going to blow your minds. I have you set up for an incredible life and journey. You're going to meet people and experiences and have fun. And I gave you some special abilities. That'll be a real blessing to a whole other group of people. And they will have things that they'll share with you. And all together, you'll come together. It'll be incredible. And we'll do it for all of eternity. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he did this incredible chapter all about love which is the essence, the glue of relationships. And Paul, in the middle of that, writes this. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. Let's read it. If I have not love, I am nothing. There's nothing if you don't have love. All of these other things matter, but they do not matter most. And without love, they don't matter at all. So let me just say this. Um... When you were invited to a royal wedding of the son of God just say yes. I mean just say okay yes I'm going. Don't argue, don't negotiate, don't well, what does that mean or just say if you've been invited just say yes. Can everybody just say yes? yes? Yes. All right, verse 4. So after telling the first story of an invitation and they're not willing to come, so verse 4. And again, Jesus continues the story and he picks up with the same theme. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. So now he's saying, don't just give them an invitation to the wedding. Tell them what we're going to do. We're going to have a royal banquet. I've prepared a meal. It's going to be incredible. It's the king who is preparing a meal for you. And, And it's a dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. We're going to have a royal barbecue. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, and one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. It's very interesting here, Jesus continues to explain to the religious leaders as well as the, the crowds, the listening crowds, the danger of rejecting this invitation. And, and believe me, I mean, I know we're, we live in America and we're in the 21st century, whatever, but uh, going, going back in the context, historically, culturally, of that time, you get, you, you get an invitation from the king, you don't get to vote on it. You don't get to you know, decide, you go. It's the key, right? So Jesus is trying to use that understanding to the world. Uh, even in the story of a worldly king, there is danger associated with rejecting the invitation. Now a wedding was the most significant social event of a person's life, uh, much today in the same way. But the wedding of the king's son, the wedding of the prince, would be a spectacular event that would stir the entire realm. Uh, An invitation would be a very prized thing. So, you know, for a modern analogy, I know, you know, we have a democracy, and so over in England, they have a monarchy. And I realize it's not the same as in ancient times where kings did everything and queens, but they have preserved the monarchy, and they have honored that tradition. And there's something very attractive about it, and there's something beautiful about it. And even us American kids are fascinated with it. And, you know, recently then you had Prince Harry, uh, who, who meets, of all things, this beautiful American girl, Meghan, who's going to be the princess, and they're going to have a wedding and. Man, uh, you know, it's going to be, everybody wishes they could be there. If you received an invitation to that, man, you, and then what if you got an invitation, oh, we don't want you to just come to the wedding and be somewhere out there. We want you with the royal family and the royal box. And so what, what, what it would it have been like if you had been given an invitation from Prince Harry, future princess uh, Megan? And all expenses paid. We're flying you over. First class, we're putting you up in the royal palace. You will be fed a royal banquet. You have a place reserved at the table for the f- banquet. And then, by the way, you can stay an additional month and visit any other cities and places you want in Europe. All expenses paid. Are you in? How many would say, I'm uh, okay. But I want you to think now, we're talking about cannot even, you know, be, cannot be compared, you know, this little speck of this little planet, now we're going beyond the, in, into the vast universe which God spans in his right hand, and now all the angelic creation, there's all kinds of angels, They're not, there's not just generic angels, you know, there's different kinds, there's worlds Of this kind of angel, principalities. There's worlds of this kind of angel. When Paul said, Jesus is above all principalities, powers, mights, dominions, and names. He was a rabbi, Jewish guy. He was describing the different rankings they understood of different worlds of angels. They're all going to be there at this royal wedding. And you've been invited to the royal wedding. The angels are the watchers and the spectators and the part, you know, But you were invited, and you and I, we're not only invited to the wedding, the banquet, we're the bride. We're the focus of the whole universe. You don't turn that down. You don't say no. You don't go, I'll think about it. Well, what about, negotiate, or whatever. You just say yes. It seems strange, even in the context of this story in ancient times, that anyone in their right mind would refuse. I mean, the obvious thing is most people would hear that story and go, What is this guy, nuts? Why would you refuse an invitation to a royal wedding? But Jesus is illustrating there is no logical reason to reject God's invitation. But the truth of the matter is they had rejected God's invitation. They had rejected the father because the father sent the invitation to that specific generation and his messenger to invite them was a man named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a prophet and he, you know, Israel had not, you know, from Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and the gap between that and Matthew, the New Testament, was a gap of nearly 400 years. Israel had had no prophet. No authentic man with the word and power and authority of God for nearly 400 years. All of a sudden, John rises up, and he doesn't go to Jerusalem. He doesn't start preaching in the temple or in anywhere there in the holy sites. He goes out to the desert and starts preaching to the mountains and to the animals and and just starts preaching, repent. The kingdom of heaven is on its way. And eventually, the people leave Jerusalem and the temple. They go out to the wilderness uh, where they're with John and they hear him, they get convicted and they go, What should we do? He goes, I'm telling you, the king is, is here. He's, in fact, he tells them, There is one walking among us. It's not like I'm saying hundreds of years from now, he's here. And they're like, We're looking around, where is he? There's one that is, I'm not worthy, John says. And they knew he was a prophet. I'm not worthy of getting down on my face and taking the sandals off his feet. I'm not even worthy to be his servant, but he's here. And I'm telling you, we're not talking someday, some way. Now he's here. And man, the people started going by the droves into the Jordan River and getting baptized. They knew something was weird. Something was wrong. Religion wasn't right in the Holy Temple. Uh, They were compromised. They knew that they were guilty. And they were like, we've been waiting and praying for this for so many years. But they eventually took John and they rejected him. And then he gets beheaded. So the father is rejected, and then shortly after that, Jesus comes, and he's this week going to be rejected, and he's going to be crucified. And then three days later, he rises from the dead, and and on Pentecost, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit, and as he pours out the Holy Spirit, they get baptized in the Spirit, and the the apostles start preaching, Jesus, whom you crucified, is alive, he's risen, and they started healing people. And miracles started happening. And demons started being cast out. And they go, wait a second. That's when that Jesus guy was here. Now it's happening with fishermen and Peter, James, and John. And, and so they're saying, see, I told you, he is alive. He is not dead, but he is alive. So then they take Stephen, and he starts preaching to them. And they reject Stephen. And they literally stone Stephen to death. But here's what Stephen said in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. So they rejected the Father. They reject the Son. Now they reject the Holy Spirit. Verses 5 and 6, it says, but they made light of it. The invitation is given. They made light of it, and they went their ways. And they just focused on themselves. And they missed a great opportunity. I want to say this when when you reject God's offer, when you reject a personal relationship with God and the creator of the universe, and it really is just about you, what you think and what you evaluate and how you judge everything else. And you, you basically, your world gets, here's what will happen to your world. It will get smaller, little by little, little by little. And, and before you know it, even your own family, they're not connecting with you. And then it's just you. And what's wrong with everybody else? And and your universe, you're the center of your universe. And it's like it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. But when you come into the family of God, you get saved and you say, I'm not even worthy. How did I get this invitation? Lord, I'm not worthy, but I thank you, and I receive it in my heart. Wow. Welcome, son. Welcome, daughter, into the family of God. Guess what? What? You're not alone. Got others in your family, and they're going to get saved, but then there's others in the body of Christ, in the church, and they're all throughout your city. Wow, I, I have hundreds, thousands of brothers and sisters I didn't even know I had. Well, it's not just within one community or one church, but then there's others, and then across state lines, and the whole nation, and then other continents, and from every nation, every kindred, every tribe, and every tongue, you have brothers and sisters around the world. When I started this church, we started it literally. I always talk about starting it in the park, and which we did for about a month. But even before that, we, it started in a home Bible study with Glenn Hiroshiki in Mira Mesa. So I went to a little home Bible study and said, "Hey, I feel like the Lord has told me to start a church, and maybe starting a church. And I got to start it in the park because I don't have a place. But if anybody would like to come, it'd be awesome." And people came. And now all these years, so now here we are. So you're the third, you know, Saturday night, Sunday morning, first service, second service, and Wednesday night and the school and all the things that have happened. And I love it how somebody calls, they have a problem. And, and then all of a sudden it's, you know, I love it. Because when we hear those phone calls, I, I, here's my situation or here's my problem, here's what I need. Always me or the other pastor are going, I know a guy. Because we got this church filled with thousands of people and exactly what you need, I know a guy. He's the perfect guy. And then you hook them up or a sister calls. I need this or I need that. And we go, I know this lady. She'll be awesome. When you meet her, she's awesome. She has exactly what you need, and you connect them. We have this huge family of God and the world just grows and it gets bigger and bigger and better and better. Amen. That's an awesome thing to be part of the family of God. But the king verses seven and eight was furious. He sent the armies to destroy them. Jesus is talking about Israel. And though it did not happen immediately, uh, about 40 years later, in 70 AD, this is what happened to ancient Israel after the rejection of the Father's invitation, the Son, uh, then the Holy Spirit, 70 AD, the Roman armies came in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and uprooted the Jewish people and destroyed the temple. And Jesus' own mouth had said on Palm Sunday, weeping, that that temple will be torn down and not one stone will be left on top of another. To this very minute, right now, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, you can go and see the stones that used to be in the temple that were thrown off the side by the Romans and are all broken debris down below. Not one stone was left on top of another stone in the Temple Mount. So what Jesus said, look, there are consequences to rejecting the invitation of the king. It may not happen immediately, but down the road, there will be a price to pay. On the other hand, if you follow the Lord, if you trust in the Lord, now that's what I'm encouraging all of you to do, because here's what I've found. Let's read Proverbs 16, 7. Let's read this out loud. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I've I've experienced this in my life, and even recently just experienced in a fresh new way. That all of a sudden, we have a need, big need. And God's provision, you know, where you're like, what are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do. And you look up, first thing, you pray. You get together with your family, your friends, and say, we need to pray. Lord, help. And all, then God provides. I know a guy. And God provides something. And it comes at the right moment, at the right time. And when it comes, it's so sweet. It's such an answer. It's so obvious. God, you're real. I'm so glad I didn't get bitter against you and accuse you and you're mean and you should have done this or that. No, I just said, I trust in you. And I don't care. I'm not looking at the circumstances. I believe you're good. I believe you're loving. I believe you're a good dad. And I believe you're working, even though I can't see it right now. And literally, I'm telling you, sometimes God was working decades earlier to take your situation and your need and he's been working and preparing it and it took decades until that very moment you cried out to him and then God brings the provision through your family, through a brother, through a sister and you're saved, you're delivered, you're rescued, your prayer is answered and God says, see, I told you, son. I told you I'm good. I told you I'll take care of you. I told you I'll look after you. Believe it. So, man, I'm at a place now where at this stage of my life. I realized, because God, here's, here's my relationship with my father in heaven. He goes, son, you know, I, I love what you're doing. I'm with you. I'm in you. And, and look at all these blessings, like the church, like the school. He goes, but I'm telling you this, I've been working on some other plans I have for you. And i got other things. i got people you're going to meet. i got other situations that are going to come. I've been working on these for decades, but they're just going to fall right in place as you take and put one step in front of the other and you keep trusting in me and you keep following in me. He goes, I'm so excited for your future. It's going to blow your mind. I have blessings for you like you can't believe. Can I hear an amen on that? Because that's how God works. That's who God is. That's what God will do for you as well as for me. Now, I wanted to uh, use an illustration that I heard recently. My son, Daniel, and his family just got back from 10 years being in Colorado. So here's a picture of the beautiful aspen trees. Aspen trees are very beautiful. Of course, they look different in each season. Sometimes they're just brilliant green. And then in the fall, they can turn yellow, uh, vibrant yellow in the fall. And these beautiful, you know, look like tube-like uh, clusters of white stands. And then the little um, aspen leaves are like little, perfect little circles. And the way they flutter in the, in the wind and then the sunlight when it's going through. And on top of that, when the, uh, especially like in Colorado, when the wind blows through a whole forest of aspen trees, it makes a very, very, unusual, unique sound. They, they call it a divine uh, quaking sound. It's literally, it, it, it stirs your spine. It makes you tingle. The quaking of the aspen leaves as the wind goes through them. Well, now, you know, in nature, uh, in looking at nature, do you know that the, the ecologists tell us that the aspen tree may be the oldest living organism that is still current on planet earth the oldest living organism on top of that you like you see all these trees here and yes they do have seeds and yes sometimes an aspen tree can be planted by seeds but the vast majority of them really are not what all those trees came from is one original tree gets planted and its roots go out and they just keep growing the roots they just keep growing and then all of a sudden, the root reaches a certain point, and the sun gets a certain temperature, and the rain comes just right, and, some, and a shoot will come up from the roots. And all of a sudden, it gets to the surface and feels happy and starts shimmering and growing and turns into another tree. All of, so you can see a forest of aspen trees that all have one common root system. And not only is it one common root system, but it can keep going. And they said that the, the Aspens of Colorado, that root system goes all the way through Colorado and goes even beyond the borders of a new state into Utah, that it's all wrapped up. And they say, not only is one the oldest, perhaps, living organism in nature, but that root system is the heaviest in nature. The weight of all those roots. And it's very beautiful, and it's very powerful. And I, I, So, I mean, you think about the aspen trees coming from roots and raising up literally forest after forest of these absolutely beautiful trees that make this glorious sound when the wind, like the Spirit, blows through them. And it made me think of this scripture in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Let's read this out loud I love that scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures. And that the Messiah, Christ, may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love. So if I could take the aspen tree and make a little application, my roots, the, the, the seed ultimately started with Jesus Christ, who's seated at the right hand of the Father and rose from the dead. And that, from that seed the spirit came upon me and filled me with the roots. I'm rooted into the one who is risen and alive and seated at the right hand of God. He is the king. He's, going to, he's having a wedding and I'm invited to that wedding. But my roots have now grown from just me through my wife through my children, my grandchildren, and starting this little church out of a little Bible study in Mira Mesa with Glen Hirshiki. And then look where it's grown now. And then the school that started with eight little kindergartners in 1991 is now 930 or 940 from preschool through high school, right down the road. So you, so my roots are entangled with your roots we're all entangled together. We're part of the same root. And we're rooted and grounded in love. And it's beautiful. And, you know, your family continues to grow. I love the thinking of uh, Teen Challenge. Uh, and as I was talking to Mike Conway and Herlindo, uh, you know, that have both been through the program. When I met them, I was like, man, these guys are polished. They must be business guys. They go, no, actually, we went through the program as addicts. And now God brought us here. And, you know, so when I was like, wow, I... You, you guys don't, you're so, you look like, you know, professional, you know, and they go, well, yes, we are. And they said, that's what we found. And the, the addicts, many of them are so deeply gifted. There's artists, uh, there's entrepreneurs, there's engineers, there's scientists, there's all these talents that have got blocked up by drugs, and an imitation of the Holy Spirit, once we strip all that stuff out, the nasty stuff, and they get filled with the Spirit, all those gifts come to the surface. So they go through the program, three months, and the nine months, and they go out. Some of them come back and minister. Some of them go on to business. And so Mike was telling me, well, here's what's happened, Ray. I go, how do you do this? I mean, that program is intense. The three-month thing, and there are constantly people coming in every 90 days. Every day, there's somebody new coming in for their next 90 days. And then the, the castle. And then, as he said, we got 129 all over the world. And, and I said, how, how do you fund it? And he said, Well, one of the ways is those guys, maybe 20, 30 years ago, they were young and they got addicted and they, they got messed up and they went through the program. And they got a relationship with God, and they got out, and they got cleaned up, and they found a young, handsome guy or a beautiful girl, and they got married, and they started having kids, and they got a job, and then they started being productive and fruitful. And some of them, their talents took them to the business world, and they became successful, and then it blew up, and the creativity came out. and They have hundreds and hundreds of employees. Some of these guys, decades later, have millions of dollars. They're rich. And I said, what am I going to do with all this money? I'm going to make sure that every young man and every young woman that thinks their life is over and they're being choked out, they're going to go to that program and they're not going to spend one dime. They're not going to spend one penny. It's going to be free, just like the grace that I received back in the day. And I'll invest in them whatever it takes. So that's, that's roots that are deep. And they just keep getting bigger and bigger. So the pro- he goes, Man, really, it's not the problem, it's not money. It's like, what are we going to buy with the money we have? Where are we going to go next? Which new country, country are we going to adopt? It, like, it becomes this growing, living organism with life and deliverance and power and glory and victory. So I want you to look at this. This is really verses 8 through 10. This is what it's all about. This is a parable about grace. Verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. People get, you know, tripped out. They go, well, what do you mean they weren't worthy? Well, the only reason they weren't worthy is they didn't accept the invitation. So if you say, well, I want to be worthy, well, then accept the invitation, and you'll be worthy. Verse 10, so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both good or both bad and good. And the wedding hall, I add, finally was filled with guests. So it's all about grace. As many as you find, invite to the wedding. The king was determined he would not have an empty banquet hall. So the invitation, give it to everybody, anybody. What are the qualities? What are the requirements? Good or bad? No, I don't care. Invite them all. So when the first and second invitations were rejected so dramatically, the third invitation was made the most broad that it could. All were invited, whether good or bad. And in a way, this becomes a story of the grace of God, the love of God. Those who are invited are truly undeserving of the invitation, much less the wedding itself itself. God doesn't care. The king wants them to come. And finally, we must personally receive the gift of his righteousness. Verse 11, But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. The man without a robe was conspicuous by his difference. He came inappropriately dressed, and the king noticed. And so, you know, what does this mean, or what is this basically saying? The idea is that when you get an invitation to go before the king, you know, yes, he knows that there are going to be some that are not, not worthy and so all of our righteousness, if, it's, if our deeds were like clothing, the Bible says all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. Well, it's a royal wedding. So here's the good news. With the invitation is a place for you to go and to receive an exchange of wardrobe. Wedding garments have been made and will be designed to use specifically that are beautiful, clean, pure, and white Just hang up your old rags, put on the new garment, and then come in and we'll enjoy it. And yet here was a guy that, yeah, he got the invitation. He wanted to be at the wedding, but I'm not going to do it the way they said. I'll come when I want, how I want. I'll do it my own way. Look, there are a lot of people that think I'll get to heaven. I want to go to heaven. But when I get there, I'm going to come my way. I'm waiting until I stand before, you know, God on that day. And we'll talk then. We'll negotiate then. I'm telling you right now, just like this man, when he came and said, The garment was given, the garment was provided, you didn't put it on. What are you doing? What are you thinking? The man, whatever he had arranged in his head to think, he was speechless. Those who say, Well, why does it have to be this way? You can only go through Jesus and et cetera, et cetera, whatever. And when I get before God, I'm going to challenge, I'm going to question. No, you're not. Dude, you are so not. When you see it, you stand there, A, it's too late, and B, you won't even be able to open your mouth. It's done, game over. So you got the invitation, you got the wardrobe, so we're gonna close with this last scripture. Here's the good news. He tells you what to do and how to get clothed so that you get in. Let's read this out loud. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. The Lord says, I will give you the clothing, which is a picture of righteousness. He says, I'm going to give you mine. Give me yours. That's what the cross is all about. Give me your lack of righteousness, your filthy rags. And he went to the cross and he paid for them and he threw them away. And then now you get clothed with his righteousness. That may be found in Christ, found in him. I don't want my own righteousness trying to follow good deeds, bad deeds. How good did I do? Great on a curve. No. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Here's the beauty. We don't go to heaven and try to get, you know, good enough for for eternity or whatever. You start with the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you that you get to wear, you then get to spend the rest of eternity trying to be worthy of, but your identity is given at the beginning. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.